Hey, Marcus. Yes. Do you like movies? Yes, I do. Well, this is Zebras in America podcast, a movie podcast. We are still continuing to record safely in quarantine. I hope everybody is safe and taking care of themselves, being kind to themselves and being kind to others. We have a really exciting episode today. And we have a guest that we've been wanting to have on the show for a very long time. And finally, she is here today. Director, writer, uh, Brooklynite, Eliza Hitman. And, and with us is Saskia Khan, photographer, designer, writer. Because we couldn't have Eliza Hitman on and not have Saskia on as well. So I just want to say, Eliza, we're so happy to have you on today. Thank you. Thank you for, yeah, well, I really. think, I feel like I kind of invited myself, actually, but it's nice to meet everyone. <laughs> Not really. We, we've wanted you on since Beach Rats, so it's like, no, we, you, you, you're, you're very much a guest. We, we, we don't count it as you inviting yourself on, on the show. <laughs> yeah, like, like, we've had, I've had to be polite to people before. Uh, what's up, Hold what's up, little buddy? What's up? You want to come say hi quickly? Oh no, you have work on the other side. You're tricking me. <laughs> awesome. Oh no, wait, I'm not allowed to say awesome anymore. Uh, very good work. Very good work. Very good work. Yeah. He says I say awesome too much. <laughs> Sorry. She wants a, a real critique. <laughs> Oh. I don't like it because you do that. Want to say hi quickly and then go back, go back to school, okay? Go back to the living room. Hello. Oh, dude. Hi. <laughs> what did you make today? No, you don't need the headphones. Oh, you do need the headphones. That's right. All oh, right. <laughs> what did you make? Sorry. What? Uh, what's your name? Oh, all Jonas. right. Jonas. Hi, Jonas. What's up, dude? Oh. Look at all the letters. That's a good Very good work. <laughs> What's your favorite letter? Hey, can you go back? Hey, Scott. Hey, can you grab him? Go ahead, go back to school, go back. Sorry, my little Zoom bomber. That's okay. <laughs> we're, we're, you know, we're a stream of consciousness podcast, and one thing that's really important in our podcast, and one of the things that we really love about your movies is the importance of family and family shows up like they come in there they they interrupt and that's okay and so yeah so you you may have in your mind invited us invited yourself but we've been sending a beacon because like again i've i've definitely lied to other directors and been like you're my favorite but you're you're legit one of my favorite uh directors doing it right now and uh, Marcus, Marcus, you had a little intro. Yeah, um, I mean, this this whole episode, it's very connective and it, and it actually predates, you know, even Zebras. Uh, in 2013, uh, I was at a house party uh, and I met the editor of, uh, of, of, of a lot of Eliza's films and he was talking, you know, about uh, this, this movie called It Felt Like Love and how I have to see it and, and, and everything. And then when it finally came to IFC in 2014, I remember I was like, oh, this guy, the editor of this movie was telling me to go see this movie. So I went to IFC, saw it felt like love, ended up loving it. It was in my top 10 of uh, 2014 of my yearly wrap up. Uh, actually, as I was coming out of the movie, seeing it felt like love, I actually ran into Scott, which was really, really weird. 
Um, and then a couple of years later, not, I, not me, huh? not me, yeah, different, right, different sorry, Scott. Right, right, right. And then Scott, um, Scott Cummings, Scott correct. Cummings, not Scott Thorough. Correct, correct. You know, and then years later, I asked my friend Scott, hey, do you want to do this podcast? He said, yeah, of course. And then ep episode five, I happened to just kind of casually mention this movie, It Felt Like Love. This is years, you know, after it came out. And it timed out perfectly because Beach Rats was on the horizon, her, her second film. Um, so Scott watched it, he loved it, and then he watched it with Saskia. Saskia loved it so much, she wrote a letter that uh, we read on the show because it touched her so much. And then, of course, we were, this was right, the podcast started right around the time Beach Rats was about to come out, so we were out, so we were promoting that movie. And then around that time, on a personal level, on my own site, Pinland Empire, I'm big on movie comparisons. And at the time, Eliza was 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 more active on Twitter, and she was posting a lot of images of things that kind of like subconsciously influenced shots from it. Like you'd had a, there was some Life of Jesus, Bruno Dumont's first film. There was the pool scene from Raging Bull, and I was like, oh, I love when directors admit certain things that influence them because at the same time, all of your visual influences had absolutely nothing to do with what, what Beach Rats was about, which makes it even cooler. So then, you know, at that point, we were like, we have to get Eliza Hittman on. Um, and now, you know, and, and, and here we are, just a few episodes ago, we had one of what I consider our best episodes. Uh, and a big part of that was Saskia. She always adds, you know, to, to the show and she loves your films very much. So it's like, I love the connectivity and I love how everything has kind of come together and, and we finally got you here. So it's really great. Thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, because what happened was I'll, I'll do a thing where I have to watch considerably more movies than Saskia does because of this podcast and other things. But sometimes I'll start a movie and I'll be like, hold up, hold up. I can't watch this alone. I'm like, Saskia, you know, you have to see this movie. This is this is about, you know, a character in a Brooklyn that you're from. And like, we got to watch it. And we did. And we loved it. And we've been making a habit of going to see your movies, Eliza, when they come out. So when Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always was on the horizon, that was like, Oh yeah, we're gonna go see that, and then, and then this pandemic happened, and it was obviously there were many bummers about the pandemic, but that was, you know, our one of our rituals now is going to see your movies because we just we just love your voice and and the way that you honor the characters that you that you use and you celebrate them and you you let people do a lot of the work with the work that you do. You know, last night we, we watched, we watched Forever's Gonna Start Tonight. And I loved connecting the dots and also coming from, you know, I worked at Jim Thorpe High School for a while. So I would, I would walk down in Brighton Beach and go to those stores and like, I could smell that movie. You know, I could smell the fish and I could smell the stores. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. After watching that movie last night, your short film, uh, Forever's Going to Start Tonight, I was crying. And, and, but I also just, I was, ex and then I was telling Marcus this morning that the scene where the protagonists walk from Manhattan Beach to Sheepshead Bay is this bridge that I'm living near right now. You know, Saskia and I are quarantining in Manhattan Beach. Saskia's from Manhattan Beach. And then Marcus is telling me the story about 
how he was living in Amherst and his dad drove all the way to Sheepshead Bay to buy turntables in the 90s and how me and my dad used to go to Marine Park to Sam Goody to buy to get to get instruments in the 90s and your stories really bring up a lot of yeah, Brooklyn exactly. that yeah. that isn't always seen but is so authentically Brooklyn what do you think about all we just said a lot of words so yeah no 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 that. i'm listening um i you know you know like i said part of why i was really excited to hear your podcast and i don't i don't tune in to a lot of press and stuff because obviously it feels very pulse personal and i feel vulnerable so i'm not always aware of like what's happening and who's consuming the movies um because I, I feel a little bit like when I put a movie out in the world, I'm like walking around with a bulletproof vest on um, because what people say and what people write can be like very painful. And, um, you know, I'm still learning how to sort of navigate certain um, parts of this industry. Um, so, I, you know, I listened, you know, to your podcast and it was really refreshing to me. Um, because so many people have um, such an outsider point of view on New York, um, and including filmmakers who make movies only exclusively in New York. Um, and it was very refreshing to just hear you take them apart in a very authentic and personal way. So I was excited to sort of reach out and say, hey, I want to join this conversation. Of course. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know, like all of the areas that you're, you know, talking about, you know, are so much, um, you know, part of like my experience as a youth in New York. Um, I was in Marine Park over the weekend with my family in the early evening because I thought it would be kind of empty, you know, and it was. Um, and I was really thinking about, I think it's the B3 bus that goes down Avenue U. Um, and I was just thinking about how so much of my experience as like a teenager was just on this B3 bus that connected like every neighborhood that every friend I ever had lived in. Um, you know, from, um, I don't know, I guess like Bergen Beach all the way to, I don't, I don't know where, I don't even remember where it goes all the way to Bensonhurst. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So I don't know. It's fun to sort of listen to you guys, you know, talk about the movies and, um, you know, exciting that they were inspiring to you um i obviously have cast a number of my movies in manhattan beach on the handball courts um and <laughs> you just said the magic you just said the magic words for saskia well yeah that's where i met the guys in it felt like love actually i just wandered into that handball court um and i knew they looked familiar yeah yeah <laughs> these guys are trouble um but yeah yeah i'm you know and I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I can say like I went to CalArts for graduate school and everybody at CalArts, you know, were, were, you know, their thesis films had this like significance, um, you know, as part of the three-year program and everyone would go back to these like really incredible 
countries because they're mostly international students like Taiwan and Kashmir and make these movies. And when I was, you know, in my third year at CalArts, I was really sort of feeling down because I was like, how am I going to compete with all of these like incredible locations that everyone you know, shoots in. And then I, you know, I really just sort of went back to Manhattan Beach and to Sheepshead Bay and just started to think about, you know, how to mine my own world for experiences and authenticity. Um, so that was sort of the beginning for me of like making movies in Brooklyn. Um, you know. it was It was such an authentic film and it was so it was showing luscious, beautiful parts of Brooklyn that don't, don't always shown. And that's what, that was one thing that really caught on for us. And I, I do have a couple questions because one thing that I notice a lot in, in film these days is all these quote unquote Brooklyn directors, mm -hmm. you know, directors, that are that are living in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. not necessarily directors that are from Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So, as by the time this episode airs, some of your work is now being shown on the Criterion Collection, and I feel that never, rarely, sometimes, always is getting a huge uh, pull right now. And it's really nice to see a Brooklyn director from Brooklyn not trying to be townist, but it's just true. It makes me happy to see you get all this success. But I know, I know Saskia has some questions about handball and some of this stuff, because y'all are both, y'all are both from two fair zone neighborhoods of Brooklyn, uh, as my mom used to call them, two fair zones, because before the Metro cars, you'd have to take a bus and a train or, well, I, and, um. I'm, I'm from Flatbush. Okay. I'm from Flatbush, um, and um, you know my my mother grew up in Borough Park, and my father okay. is from the tenements of the Lower East Side. Um, so I feel like those areas are kind of more my my zone. But I went oh, to, okay. I went to Edward R. Murrow, um, and yeah. everyone that I went to high school with, you know, was from Sheepshead Bay and Manhattan Beach. Marine Park and Bensonhurst. Um, my neighborhood, you know, really from like 2000 on, you know, just gentrified so rapidly and the real estate value climbed so high that it's almost like unrecognizable. And I always felt like it would be kind of hard for me to capture the essence of that place because mm. of how you know, much it's changed in a way. Um, but, you know, I would, you know, like, you know, but it, in a way that neighborhood is kind of gone. I mean, I know, I know you guys probably feel like your, your neighborhoods also changed, but I feel like mine has sort of like radically changed. So which part of Flatbush without going too, without going too specific? My parents bought a house in the 70s on Argyle. It was, oh, okay. it was like a multifamily house that was like a whorehouse. Um, and my parents moved in in the 70s. Um, and they've been there ever since. They're still there. 
Um, so, you know, it's gone through like a lot of changes. Like I would say, um, you know, like in the eighties when I was a kid, they were still mostly like multifamily houses. And then in the nineties, it kind of suburbanified and became more like white and middle-class. Um, and, um, you know, in the 2000s, it became like this kind of Portland-esque neighborhood. Um, and, you know, now it's just like off the charts. Um, and inaccessible, yeah, inaccessible. Now I'm curious um, where you went to middle school. I, okay, I went to elementary school at PS 139, which is on the corner of Ar Argyle Road. And then I had like all of these like learning disabilities and I didn't get into Huddy, which is where everyone went. And I ended up having to do three torturous years in private school and then I got out. So I went to Berkeley Carroll for middle school. Okay to try and get some extra, extra help and it didn't really work. And then they shipped me back to public school. How about you guys? What, what are your educational trajectories? Um, I went to PS29, PS58, PPAS, LaGuardia. I went to, then I went to a couple schools for bad kids. And then I got my GED at the door, where I also learned how to how to make music, and uh, and then uh, shall we do Marcus and then Saskia and then Saskia? You, you have a bunch of questions I know you want to ask. So I mean, I'll, I'll be quick. I'm, I'm I'm from Amherst. I mean, I was born in Queens, but I, I went to Amherst Regional Middle School, Amherst Regional High School. It doesn't really this part doesn't really apply to to, to you three. Um, no, but there. you're from you. Yeah. You were right, you were born and have spent a significant amount of time in St. Albans, Queens, which is another two fair zone. Yeah, I, I, okay, York I, City. I, I, I was going to say, yeah, that is culturally significant. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I was going to say, so the Brooklyn neighborhoods that you guys have mentioned, St. Albans is kind of the equivalent of that to Queens. Like everyone knows Astoria, where I currently live. Everyone knows Jackson Heights. Everyone knows that. But when you say St. Albans to the people, they're like, where? What? And I'm like, it has a stop on the Long Island Railroad. Um, so, yeah, so I guess, I, I mean, first kindergarten, first and second grade, I did go to, I, I went to Grace Lutheran and uh, it's in Jamaica, Queens. Um, I don't even think that still exists um, anymore. And it's funny when you talk about two fair zones and like the outer Brooklyn uh, neighborhoods for two years, you know, I, I lived in Canarsie and anytime friends would come to visit me, they'd be like in mid trip, like 45 minutes into like a 90 minute, two hour trip, you know, to get to me. And then they'd always be like, yo, where do you live? And then like when they got there and they saw like I had like a front lawn you know, and all this stuff when I live in Canarsie, like, is this Brooklyn? Where, where is this? And I'm always fascinated when people kind of say that about certain, and Queens, Queens is very similar too. Queens is driveways and all that stuff, but neighborhoods like Canarsie are like that too. Like I lived in a place where there was, you know, a parking, uh, two parking spaces and front yards, backyards, everything. It's not just like, mm -hmm. it's not, you know, like everything isn't necessarily like the Atlantic stop on on the uh, on the subway when it comes to brooklyn again going back to how much i like your um I, i've quoted this on on the podcast a lot even the last episode when it's like in beach rats when the two characters are on their first you know like date I'm using air quotes 
And, you know, she's on, she's like all ready to get on the train to go into Manhattan, you know, and then our main character is like, why are we going to Manhattan? We got, we got food to eat right here. Like, I, I do kind of love that, you know, men mentality. Because uh, my dad, my dad's an old school New Yorker. He's, he's from St. Albans, Queens, born and raised. And, you know, there's the, a lot of times there's this like myth about. Did you repeat that? That got lost in the My dad's from St. Albans, Queens, born and raised. He's an old school New Yorker. And there's always this kind of myth from people outside of New York City that like, if you're from New York City, any of the five boroughs, you just know how to get anywhere. And there are some New Yorkers like that. I think it's a generational thing, but at the same time, a lot of old school New Yorkers know their neighborhood, maybe their relative's neighborhood, if they don't already live in the same uh, neighborhood as well. So it's like, there's some people, true school New Yorkers born and raised who have never stepped foot in like Staten Island or like the Bronx or something, but they've lived there for 60, 70, 80 years. And while some people may take issue with that, I actually find that fascinating uh, in, 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 in a positive way. So. Yeah. Uh, like a towny nature is that yeah. Yeah. It, it can be very small. So when like common in the song respiration off of black stars, first album even though he's talking about chicago when he says i asked my god how traveling the world sound i found it hard to imagine he never been passed downtown right exactly oh, there are all these parts of new york where people you know some people the characters in beach rats they may have never been to the bronx or the lower east side or maybe they have or you never know Pro probably not and i i didn't even know I grew up in Carroll Gardens. I barely knew about the world until I was allowed to take the train to the city or allowed to take the train to go different places. But um, uh, yeah, Saskia. Mean, think, yeah, it, it just um, relatedly to all of that um, is just to chime in my, my background that when I went to, I didn't get into high school, so I had to go to my zone school at Lincoln. And where all the memories um, are too truly connected to, uh, it felt like love. <laughs> um, and then I was like, I have to get out of here, even though they had the best photo program in the country. And I spent all my time in the dark room. I was like, I have to be in the city because there was nothing in Brooklyn at the time for me, I felt. Um, but then, so I go to, the, I transfer to this, small school urban academy and I feel like you needed or like one needs to have the opposite experience to value the old experience and I think I related to what you were saying about kind of like going from Berkeley Carroll to Murrow in a way because it you you have to spend time in those alternate worlds in the city to understand how complex the city really is. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to go back to what you said in the very beginning about making a film and then putting a bulletproof vest on because- Seriously, I love that too, yeah. I, like the number one word that comes to mind when I was kind of just like meditating on your work is bravery. And I think that a lot of people or an audience for your film may not understand how brave it is to make the work that you make because the characters and the stories are very intense in real life. 
and it takes real guts to be that honest and intimate in the telling of those stories because there's so many walls built up in in those characters in real life it's very hard to access like um you know themes of homosexuality or um you know teenage sex or just all these little taboo things that everyone is experiencing experiencing but it's really going unsaid and to be a filmmaker doing it there and tapping into it like you said like mining your community and trying to find the specialness of it when it wasn't when it was your everyday for so long that just yeah it's a huge leap i think um to do that and i'm just so 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 grateful that you did because it has changed the way that i see the world and and helped me find the specialness again in what I know. Okay. Question. Though. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, one thing I really would love to hear you talk about is who you kind of felt you were, what your identity was like in high school, because <laughs> so many of your characters are teenagers. And also, um, in particular, I guess, what the ideal girl was when you were in high school, because these films, um, really all of them, including the shorts, shine a light on a very specific kind of beauty that, that reminds me of that feeling of a girl crush, like girl to girl, like, like finding something to admire in a way that a girl carries herself and I just want to hear like what was it like for you um yeah I guess I could say I I probably you know wasn't anybody exceptional in high school um I didn't you know I didn't have you know a lot of confidence um and, you know, I went to Myrtle, which had like 4,000 students. Um, 4,000, yeah. 4,000 students, you know, there were- Jesus, a high school? A high school, it had 4,000 students. Like my senior oh my class God. had 854 students. It's like um, the size of my high, of the high school I came from. That, 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 that's why I'm so fascinated by that. Sorry. Yeah, it was like navigating a city. Yeah. in a way like going to high school was like navigating a small city um I didn't have any close friends the first two years um and it wasn't until you know like Murrow has this sort of special theater department or had this special theater department and it wasn't until I started doing plays my junior year that I had friends and and like a you know a community um, you know, I, you know, n nobody, like very few people, there also very few people at Murrow had boyfriends, um, girls, there was like a four to one ratio, 
Um, so if you were kind of like a guy at Murrow, you had this like elevated celebrity. Um, and if you were a girl at Murrow, I don't know, you, you know, you were, you know, part of like a litter or something. Um, I had, I guess it's kind of funny to talk about on here, um, but I, I think the chances of anyone that I went to high school with listening to this are very like slim to none. At some point in my high school years, um, I became very, very good friends with this girl from Bensonhurst, um, who is like very vaguely the character and if, you know, the best friend and it felt like love. Um, and she was like a celebrity at Murrow. Um, and everybody thought, you know, Marissa Tomei went to Murrow. Um, and everybody thought this girl was going to be the next Marissa Tomei. And they even looked alike, which was sort of the eerie thing. Um, and my friend sort of moved in a continual spotlight. But like in, in retrospect, I think we were friends because she had had like too many falling outs with other friends at that moment in high school. And I think I was kind of like a safe, ordinary friend that wouldn't create any male competition, um, if that makes sense. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why she picked me as a friend, but she definitely picked me. Um, and I spent like sort of two years by her side. Um, and then we lost, we lost, you know, something happened and we, we stopped becoming, we stopped being friends and she very much like retreated into a very Brooklyn life. Um, I think she tried to go to the new school and didn't, you know, like we're talking about, like didn't, fit in at all couldn't you know find her way in that space and then um i think she's a bartender in bay ridge um okay and her brother lives like a few blocks from me and i see him every now and then um i don't know why i'm going into this but she was sort of the inspiration of the friend character and it felt like love yeah um who sort of effortlessly you know, went through boyfriend after boyfriend um, and, you know, had this sort of secret mythological kind of existence. Um, and, you know, it was something, you know, that felt very distant to me as like a high school mm -hmm. student. Does that make sense? It's a lot yes. of sense. It's like you're essentially uh -huh. talking about it felt like love to, you know, to, to some degree. And for the one listener who hasn't seen It Felt Like Love, yeah, or the, I mean, anyone who's, who loves the show knows how hard that we, that we cape for your films, Eliza. Right. But, you know, Eliza is the director of the feature films It Felt Like Love, Beach Rats, and her, your most recent Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. And okay. if... Yeah. Oh, Sorry. Were, no, I was just, I'm just riffing. I was going to say there's a lot of other elements that are sort of, you know, I drew upon from high school, but nothing is like so autobiographical. Like when I was in high school, 
there was a kid from another school who was a little bit older and his name was Sammy. And his goal was to have sex with 21 girls by his 21st birthday. Um, I took the sort of like kind of idea of him and brought it into the story, but it wasn't somebody mm-hmm. that would have, you know, looked my way <laughs> at any time during that period. Um, but it was sort of like a what if, you know, in writing that script, like what if I took this idea of myself in high school, you know, and um you know, gave her more, you know, self-destructive confidence to pursue somebody like that kid, you know, who we right. all knew, yeah. who was like preying yes. on all of my friends. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, and also it's the like film that in my op- high school. And the no, film Saskia. opens. The film opens up with um, a girl in a one-piece bathing yeah. suit and sunscreen. Two things that, you know, immediately I'm like, oh my God, now that's, I mean, talk about like confidence (laughs) because you had to have a tan and not have pale skin. So wearing sunscreen is already like, like, wow, she's really Mm -hmm. like. (laughs) Well, you know, the inspiration for that, you know, opening image is from a, you know, a Renneke Dykstra photo. That's oh, could, could you uh sorry could you repeat that one more time you yeah, glitched the, up a little um yeah just a few things the 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 inspiration for um the opening images of a felt like love came very very directly from a Renicky dykstra photo which i think is called girl at coney island or coney island you know um, Renica, Renica yeah. Dytra? She, she'll know. She'll know yeah. which one it. Yeah. I can. I can try and find we'll send it. it to you. It's, it's very easy. There's a to lot of find online bathing suits, swimming. And, yeah. Yes, and this one specifically, I thought I was looking at a reflection of myself when I saw it, um, and um, you know, it's like a young girl standing sort of awkwardly, you know, staring right into the camera, make you know. Um, and the bathing suit is slightly ill-fitting and it's black and I always liked that there was something very sort of funereal about her choice in bathing suit you know in the middle of summer you know to choose this like black bathing suit there was something sort of mournful about it and um, mournful about you know and, and shooting young people kind of at these sort of transitional moments um and i incorporated it into the film um as the opening image um and you know it was inspiration for the palette and the color of the film because you know it um wasn't like this lush rich summer palette this bright colorful poppy you know there was something sort of I don't know, subdued about it that felt more like a memory um, than, you know, the way that we think about um, summer. Absolutely. You, you really succeeded in that because it had, because I, it connected me to think about those periods in time and yeah, your films visually are just so powerful and the, the subdued nature of, those shots make sense with this character is subdued but open and 
and fearless and fearful and you're you barely get to understand her interiors even though she's so outward about all of these ultra dangerous behaviors um and and ultra behavioral uh behaviors that your characters engage in in your movies which whether you see it off screen or on screen you know the the things that that happen off screen and never rarely sometimes always are make you really work what's going on and as in our last episode i was talking you know listening to the exciter song that you use for the main character in never sometimes rarely sometimes always once you get through the movie it takes on such a sinister uh meaning and gives you context and insight you get without beating over the head and uh you know your first two features were so brooklyn centric and then this new one takes place in pennsylvania and manhattan uh what what led you to get there and then and then i i know saskia has some handball questions and some other things but ready i love it um yeah i i had had the idea for never really sometimes always for a long time since i made it felt like love um and it it really just came from you know the world and reading the news and you know thinking about this kind of secret journey that a lot of women take all over the world when they need access to reproductive care. Um, and it started with the story in Ireland. And then I looked to sort of figure out how to translate it here. But, you know, the, the original idea was like a young woman in Ireland who's working as an au pair who finds out she's sort of pregnant um, and you kind of begin to question the people she works for. And she has to go to London via ferry and back in one day. Um, wow. that, that, that journey is very common for Ireland. Um, and I was just thinking about like, why do like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people take this kind of journey every day all over the world, but it's never been shown in a film before. So I always had the idea for this journey as being like this classical hero's journey, um, but one that's like secretive and um, full of all these very painful financial, bureaucratic and emotional obstacles. Um, so it's fun to sort of take that initial idea and then translate it to, to the US. And I picked, New, I picked Pennsylvania because I met with social workers at different Planned Parenthoods and other clinics. Um, and I just wanted it, the story to be credible. And I, you know, there were a lot of arrows that kept pointing to the state restrictions just in Pennsylvania. Um, and I didn't think people would believe the movie if she came from like Alabama, you know, it had to feel yeah. like something she could do. Um, you know, that in a couple days, yeah. you know. Was, yeah, I, I was saying that that to someone. Um, and we were just talking because we were just talking about movies that like dealt with abortion, and I was just saying like, th th this is a friend of mine who actually assumed that I had seen Never Really, sometimes always immediately because he knows how much I like your movies. I just hadn't gotten around to it yet, you know, at the time. 
Um, but and you know, we were just saying like, yeah, there's a bunch of movies that that deal with this, and some of them are great. But like right off the bat, this one, because you know, for various reasons, I've never had to deal with this. Like, there's definitely certain aspects of it where I I'll look, I'll research, I'll look into something. But just right off the bat, like the the two day journey journey that I had never. I had no idea. And it's like, you know, part of me, it's like, oh, I'm 38 years old. I feel like I'm supposed to know this. But at the same time, it's like, I'm not going to lie. I didn't know about it. And then I was watching the movie with my wife and how casually she was just like, yeah, no, that, that, you know, that, you know, that happens. And that's probably a gender thing. Um, and, you know, that happened quite a bit during your film, actually, too. Just like the scene on the subway where the guy exposes himself. It's one of the things I never doubt that that happens. But again, a lot of it has to do with just me being a man, too. It's like, you don't, ever deal with that stuff so it's one of those things like you know it happens but even when it happens it's like that really happens and i i feel so naive sometimes but then like again my wife when that scene before the action happened in that movie she was like oh i know it's gonna like she's like oh here we go and it's just one of those things like it made me think about her and other like my cousins my mom my girl like coming home from the subway you know at night and it's just like oh i'm sure yeah that like like that kind of stuff happens all the time it's one of those things where it might have happened to me i might have been around in the same train car when it happened but just because of who i am as a guy i'm like it's like not even on my radar it's like and a guy could have been sitting right next to me doing that to a woman i hadn't had no idea my my 20 something years of living in, in new york city you know but um anyway yeah sorry not to I was just trying, but going back to your research, I ended up having to do my own little research afterwards because I was so like, God, this really happens. And and, and the connectivity, yeah, it makes a lot of sense from like to go for the the trip from Pennsylvania to to, to New York was just kind of like a like a a minor masterful thing about this movie, too. But anyway. Yeah. Right, because it is. I didn't think, yeah. Yeah, no, I just wanted it to be simple and believable, you know, and if it was farther than that i thought i would sort of lose people's i don't know attention or belief in the movie and the type of journey yeah the verisimilitude is very believable when i went back to to look to rewatch um all your work that's available at least if there's more (laughs) feel free to send some (laughs) um but i was also thinking about the element of water because the other characters in the other films are also in situations that they're stuck in and they're facing their own little, you know, their issues, their problems, Um, but they have the water to go to and to like escape and the characters and never rarely sometimes always are landlocked. And I thought a lot like looking back about how in Brooklyn, like being from that part of Brooklyn and having this one little element of escape being on the coast is like in many of your films, this little gap of freedom for them. So mm. there's not a real question there, no, but, not, you know, yeah. just thinking about how, yeah, for the girls in um, Never Really, Sometimes Always, it's, it's, it's eerie to think that there is less. They're of, stranded. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I appreciate. I was just. I mean, do you feel connected to like the landscape in any kind of 
meaningful way for you personally? Like, do you, I mean, you brought your kids to Marine Park and how important it is for you on a personal level? Um, well, I, you know, I, I probably feel, you know, similar to the way that you guys feel and that like I'm constantly navigating two very different experiences of New York you know, the experience of sort of what I like to do here as somebody who's from here and then the professional world. Um, and they don't align, um, you know, and, um, you know, we have a car and I've spent like the majority of um, my weekends, you know, because I have a kid and a dog just kind of roaming around Plum Beach because it's empty and desolate, especially in the winter. And I find it like personally restorative and everybody needs a space where they can kind of wander away from each other and run free. Um, you know, but I could never like invite somebody I work with like to come take a walk with me on Plum Beach because they would never see the appeal of it. Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. back. He's back. Hi. <laughs> you want to say hi, Scott? Oh, yeah, sure. Here, Scott will say hi quickly. All right. Do you like say, Mama, Mama? Here. What's going on, man? Oh, yeah. Hey, man, how are you? Good. How you been? Good, good, good to good, see you. Good. Yeah. Scott Cummins. I like steak. I love uh, We have a nice little, little, hi, Scott. <laughs> hi. <laughs> we love, we love Buffalo Juggalos, by the way. Oh, thank you. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't know you guys were recording. Yes. I give it back. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's great. We get a little get a little piece of there. Yeah, it's funny because I I've spent like as a kid, I Plum Beach was was a was a weird place for me, but then it's become through Saskia a real meditative, wonderful place to go. And not everyone gets it. Not everyone understands, but that's okay. Yeah, like some people are like, where are you posting those pictures from? Like, we're looking for someplace to go. And I was like, well, you know, it's this beach. Like, you know, it's not a clean beach, but um, that's where we are. Yeah. And then other people are, you know, have gone and been like, not impressed. Um, but yeah, I feel, you know, I have, you know, so much family history here um, and so much family and, you know, I don't know. Yeah, those two lives just never 100%, you know, can connect. Um, mm. And yeah, I don't, I don't know why that is, but, you know, I've had sort of similar experiences, I think, to you have, to you guys and that, you know, like when I started being coming interested in directing, like after college, I worked at a theater in Manhattan, um, downtown called Soho Rep, and nobody understood my life, you know, and I didn't feel welcome or accepted in this other, you know, world, in this other dimension of Manhattan. Right. Um, and um, I don't know, it's still, you know, it's still funny to try and reconcile these like different identities. I mean, that's, um, yeah. Yeah. That's like all, all I, all I do sometimes is like trying to not feel bitter about like always being too artsy for the Brooklyn kids and too Brooklyn for the artsy kids or, 
Hmm. Uh, it's, so like talking to successful Brooklyn filmmaker who who tells stories with integrity that have that are so like watching it felt like love watching beach rats watching forever's gonna start tonight i went to high school with those characters i grew up with those characters like i knew those characters those ca- those are those are real characters and and saskia growing up in manhattan beach would tell me about characters like like that as well and in in beach rats when you have these characters and dealing with loss in a very strange way. And then, you know, again, I've brought this up a bunch of times, so sorry, you know, it was nice to see American handball in film because, you know, there's Olympic handball, but Ameri- but like handball is, is a sport that I think really exists in certain mm-hmm. coastal towns in, in the United States. I know like mostly in, in New York, but also in Florida and other areas. And I, it was a game played a lot in junior high school, but I was terrible at. And then, it, and then when Saskia and I started to get to know each other, you know, she was, she was really into the game. So I thought it was very interesting to have your characters in Beach Rats show that texture and it gave it this soft authenticity to it that, you know, yeah, if it's you're... It's something, it's really specific to New York and it's, it's free, you know, it's like a classless sport. Like you go to a, a, a bodega and you buy the ball um, and, mm. you know, anybody can play it. It's accessible. I, I have, like, I have a funny question for you guys. Um, cause a lot of times, like when I'm doing press, um, I find that like people in their understanding of New York have this very sort of like binary understanding of class, you know, that things are either, you know, blue collar, blue collar, um, or white collar. Um, and I guess I found that like growing up in New York, like growing up out in Brooklyn didn't necessarily mean you were blue collar, you know, that class was more dimensional um, in a way. Um, And I always like sort of bump up against how to sort of address Brooklyn class issues. Every one of your characters makes note that they have to go to work. And it's like, so just, simply stated and not like they it's not a big deal for them that they work like during the summer and I and I I take I mean it's the fact that you know they're not being seen as like oh we're working class and like our lives are it's not that type of movie (laughs) (laughs) but you know it is it's in there and I think it's really important because it, it helps you understand that like, yeah, just because we're at the beach or just because we have a house that, you know, not everything's being, and we're in New York, it's, we're not having our lives handed to us on a silver spoon kind of thing. But it's also super complex, just on a personal note, because I would never tell anyone I was from Manhattan Beach. This is like maybe the first year I've ever done that. <laughs> because Manhattan Beach it's like automatic 
puts you in this box of like, okay, you live in a mansion mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like but you're people the... from Manhattan would think, or who live like in a certain, oh, they wouldn't Brooklyn, even know. Yeah. They yeah. wouldn't know, but they would also assume working class, you know, like not everybody knows the sort of history of Manhattan beach and sort of what it represents, you know, like, that it was in a way like almost like a dream place to move for a lot of people Mm -hmm. in Brooklyn. But people assume, I think, you know, because of the way the waterfront was developed and like Robert Moses that like, you know, poor people, you know, and people of color were pushed so to the margins that there is also that perception of certain areas of Brooklyn, which is false. I mean, it's interesting, though, because it's not necessarily a negative connotation, especially if you grow up in the New York City public school system, you know, you don't really want to be wealthy. Um, And so many people, especially people that were transplants coming to the city, I that I would befriend um, would hide their, their wealth, um, Mm -hmm. and not try to identify with it in any way. And yeah, it's, um, what's like there's like a term for it when you kind of like shift there, what's the like hot term for that like shifting your identity mm-hmm. thing code, code switching yeah code mm-hmm. switching code Switching. when you would go to like a party that was like populated by people that went to calhoun or mm-hmm. whatever and then you'd like try to like oh, i can do this and like i understand what money is and then like you'd have to code switch again and you go to a different party um I mean, if you end up in Garrison Beach or something like that. So, yeah, it's it's fluid at the same time um, as, as much as it's misunderstood. And But you yeah. wouldn't tell people that you were from Manhattan Beach because you were afraid of, like, the association with money. Yeah, but at <laughs> the same time, I had it in my pocket, like, to use if I was in a situation around people with money and I felt insecure um that I you know I would code switch and be like I'm from Sheepshead one day and I'm Mm -hmm. from Mm -hmm. especially doing street photography Mm -hmm. I'm doing if I'm shooting in Bensonhurst I mean it just brings me back to like that friend I was I had a friend like that too in middle school who lived on Bay 40th and like and also being Jewish too that was the other thing hiding the Jewishness of my identity to like navigate certain quote unquote working class parts of Brooklyn that I was so intrigued and fascinated by and wanted in on. Um, I don't know if you felt that way too about Bensonhurst. I, um, yeah, I think that there was um, an association with, um, you know, having, being Jewish and having money maybe um, and living you know, in a house, and, you know, my father's, like, an academic, you know, but, you know, they grew up, like, dirt, dirt, dirt poor at the same time, Um, and I think that class can, like, shift over time, you know, and isn't, you know, um, a stagnant identity, Um, especially in New York, as the city becomes, like, more, more, and more, and more, and more, and more wealthy, Uh Um, and real estate value just, you know, continues to, explode um but yeah 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 it's funny i've been i've been asked why you know the films sort of 
you know, deal with religion very much on like the back burner, you know, subtly in, in the background and not, um, not specifically Judaism. Um, and I don't always have an answer for that, but it's something I'm thinking about. You know, that's, I'm, <clears throat> to jump in, like with Saskia, what, what you were saying, but even other New Yorkers have, you know, weird, sometimes accurate, sometimes like not so accurate perceptions about other New York, you know, na na neighborhoods, like even to bring like race in it, into it, like growing up, if you're of a certain age and if you're of a certain race, like my family, you know, it's all black. So when you hear like Gravesend or Bensonhurst, it's like, no, we, 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 we don't go there. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And like, so growing up and then like, so that's like the first seven years of my life. Then, you know, I grew up in a mostly white town in Massachusetts, but then now that after college in my adult year, like it was so ingrained in me that like those kind of neighborhoods are the ones you don't go to. Although to bring it to Queens, Howard Beach is more like the equivalent of like a Gravesend mm -hmm. kind of thing, but still mm -hmm. it's, it's so weird and how to like shake that and how the weird, you know, the reputation is like a funny story. Years ago, I was in a, I was in my music studio and it was just a group of black guys all, you know, we were sitting around talking and one of the other guys who happened to be black, he came to the studio and he was just like, oh, sorry, I'm late. Uh, I had to walk my, my girlfriend home. And then he we were just, and he's just like getting from Bensonhurst to Bushwick is so long. And then like the whole room is like, oh, black, all, wait, you were in Bensonhurst? Like, it, it's so straight. Like we were all adults and we still have that weird kind of perception of just like, and he didn't, yeah. he's, and he's not actually the guy, the other black guy who's not, he's not originally from New York, but everybody in the room, we're all, we're all from, from New York. And he didn't get, he was just like, he thought our reaction was like, wow, you came from, you know, Bensonhurst to Bushwick on public transportation. And he was just like, oh, I know that trip is crazy. And then one of us was just like, that's not why we're reacting this way. It, it was a very, it, it was a funny moment. I mean, it's based in, unfortunately, you know, it's based in some serious negativity, but it was like, we all had a laugh afterwards because we explained. And then it's just weird. A bunch of guys who I didn't even grow up with had the same exact kind of upbringing that I did. They were just like, yeah, no, we don't go to Gravesend. We don't go to Bensonhurst. And it's like, wow, that's that's really, you know. I mean, I guess uh, to bring it to Brooklyn filmmaker, Spike Lee kind of highlighted that in like, I want to say maybe 25% of his movies from like, well, Jungle Fever was on the nose, but it's just like, there's the scene in uh, 25th Hour, Do the Right Thing. There, there, there's some elements to Bensonhurst. So he, he's another one that kind of, Help played into that, you know, as well. So, right, because it's it's also like two pronged. Like Bensonhurst to to Williamsburg by public transportation, that could be like an hour and a half. Yeah, that's like yeah. because the way the way the Brooklyn transit system is set up is that it's very difficult to get to certain interconnected places unless you're taking buses or or things like that, and also. Like, as far as, like, the Bensonhurst thing, like, to this day, I, I've been like, Marcus, I got to take Beast from Money Gardens, get you get you a square. And he's like, where is it? And I'm like, in Bensonhurst. He was like, I don't go to Bensonhurst. So there are... <laughs> I'm truly, mostly, I'm 75% joking. Yeah, but I mean, all jokes are rooted a little bit in truth. And, no, that's why I say um, I'm 75, but, like, there's some serious, like, there's some seriousness to that. But yeah, I mean, it, yeah. it definitely goes two ways because the same thing is true about white people being like, I'm not going to go to Bushwick or whatever before right. Bushwick was what it is now. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. No, you know? yeah. So it's not like, but. Or, 
God, you're bringing like, me back. There's nothing like I hated. Trying, uh, oh, sorry. Or like trying to get people to come to your parties in high school if you went to Manhattan kids. Yeah, that was that was like pulling teeth. And just one more sure. thing, sure. going back to back to the class thing. I remember in high school, depending on on who I was talking to, if I was embarrassed, I was even though I grew up in Carroll, I would say I grew up in Red Hook or I grew up in Brooklyn Heights, depending on on who I was talking to or or when to when to ramp up my accent, which has definitely been like thing Saskia and I were talking and mm-hmm. and we um Saskia had me watch this video De- Debbie Mazar talking about how she would she made her she felt like she had to make her accent less less thick because I definitely remember in high school and college people didn't take me as seriously you know for some reason by accent every word you just sound a little less smart um and now I'm way more prouder of the little bit of Brooklyn accent I still have. Um, before, can I ask um, if you, Elijah, do you mind talking a little bit about um, working with, and I don't want to mispronounce her name, Helen Louvert, mm-hmm. is that it? Yeah. Um, and just, yeah. What, what is it like to work with your cinematographer? Um, Helen, you know, she is, you know, this very, you know, kind of quiet, soft-spoken, you know, very intense, very sort of brilliant, you know, French DP. Um, and I really, like, loved, I don't know if you've seen her films, but um, Aleche Rohrwacher's films, Alice Rohrwacher. And she shot this movie called Corpo Celeste, which I don't even remember what year it is, but oh, could I you was say that again. Could you Corpo, say that again? Corpo Celeste was a film that Helen shot um, that I was really blown away by. Um, and then, um, you know, she had shot a few other things that were so impressive, like um, oh, Heavenly Body. Sorry, yeah, I had the oh, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. Um, and you know, she shot this Larry Clark film called The Smell of Us and all these other movies that I just really I liked. Well but I had never connected the dots. She shot Pina, you know, that all of these movies mm. had been shot by this like one human being. Um, and then all of a sudden she shot my friend Tim Sutton's movie called Dark Knight, um, which is also really, really exceptionally shot. So I just started like kind of, I guess, just connecting the dots, really literally. And when he shot her film, I was like, could you introduce me? And I just had no idea, you know, that she would come to this corner of Brooklyn to shoot this movie with me. Did she love um, it? Yeah, she did. She really, she loves Brooklyn, I will tell you. Helen loves Brooklyn. And when we were shooting Beach Rats, she would go to Sheepshead Bay with her five kids on the weekend and just do little things and just hang out. And was very, she's very unpretentious. Um, for beach rats, we had very different processes. Like for beach rats, I had, I spent a lot of time um, like on Facebook, and I'll share it with you sometime, collecting all of these images of kids from Sheepshead Bay and Garrison Beach and all over. Um, and I mm-hmm. had all of these images um, that 
you know, were sort of inspiration for how I wanted the film to look and feel. And then I was like also really looking at um, this book, which I found, which I'll also share with you, that was from the 50s called Brooklyn Boys. And it was a photo book by this photographer named Danny Fitzgerald, who shot a lot of like um, male magazine, physique magazines in the 50s. And then in his spare time, he was from cut from Carroll Gardens, he would invite all of these gang members into his studio and shoot all of these very erotic, homoerotic, like totally nude portraits of gang members from Brooklyn. And so I kind of like put these two ideas together. Like, how can I take all of this kind of appropriated Facebook imagery? Um, and, can you say that one more time? Sorry. Yeah. How can I take all of these like appropriated images from Facebook, you know, and elevate them kind of to this, you know, and combine them and elevate them with Danny Fitzgerald? I think it's his name. I'm really bad with names right now. Um, it is Danny Fitzgerald. Yeah. It's, it's also funny that, that you say that because like some of the, like the kind of photography you're describing is also not so much the Tulsa stuff, but like the later, like like Larry Clark stuff in like the 80s and 90s, even his movies. I mean, there's mm. shots in Kids and Bully that are very like home, homoerotically shot, but of straight people kind of thing. So that's, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's the gaze for sure that I was mm -hmm. playing with. Yeah. Um, so for that film, we had a lot to like kind of unpack in terms of references and things that I was thinking about and, um, you know, thinking about how, you know, with beach rats, like how to capture the beach at night. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. And the last reference was, um, God, 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 God. I have one more, I have one more. Hold on. Oh my God, my memory is so bad. I'm going to die right now. Um, no, don't die. I need you to make on, more on. movies. Hold on, yeah, hold right. on. And while you're looking that up, I'll just recall a shot from Beach Rats uh -huh. where they're taking their first, the the thing that you have to do when after you first hook up is you have to get a picture with your yes. hookup. And they're in the mirror and uh -huh. like she's putting his fitted cap on and the, you see that that flash in mm -hmm. the reflection in the mirror. They're just going with it. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. I'm totally blanking. Barbara Crane. Here we go. Barbara Crane, yeah. who is a yeah. photographer in the 80s in Chicago. And she took all of these really beautiful Polaroids of um, kind of people, people's bodies interacting at like summer concerts and these big events and she like me is very short and she would use a polaroid camera with a frontal flash so some of the idea mm -hmm. of the lighting came from you know and framing came from you know all of these i was like much more organized for that shoot and had a lot of references that i was thinking about and looking at that came from fine art photography and from facebook um, and Helen loved it and loved sort of sitting and sort of, you know, taking apart these images and just deconstructing them. And she always sort of responded to different elements that I responded to, which was interesting. Um, and um, yeah, I don't know, um, you know, 
I, I'll, I'll tell you one good Helene anecdote, which will give you a sense of who she is as a person. She's very quiet and very precise in how she articulates things. Um, and at a certain point, like we were going through the tech scout of the film of Beach Rats, and, you know, I'm five foot tall and people are always sort of second guessing and mistrusting my ideas and impulses. And I, you know, I was just telling the producers how I wanted to light the beach, you know, just with this one light, this frontal light, this LED panel, and that was all we were going to do. Because we were, we stole everything at night, we were never going to light at night. And again, it came from this frontal flash ideas from this Barbara Crane photos. Um, where you're just kind of like shining a light at things in the darkness, almost like a flashlight. And everybody was worried because we were shooting on film that it wasn't going to expose and that it would be too dark and too limited. And we were on the beach and everybody was like, Eliza, you know, what have you, you know, have you thought about like using like a face, you know, of cell phone light, you know, maybe they light up their, their phones to add more light. And I was like, no, we're just going to use this one thing. And everyone just kept on trying to, you know, give me other suggestions that I, of course, you know, had thought about and didn't want to yeah. do. Um, it's like, and, you got this. Yeah, you got this. Like, you know what, what you're doing. We're executing this one idea, this one visual strategy throughout the, film, the whole film. Accept it and let's move on. And nobody <laughs> would accept it. And Helen stepped in and in this like beautiful, precise accent, she said she, to the producers and the financiers, she's like, look, you know, we could put a light up here and it would look like the moon. You know, we could put one here and it would look like light coming from a boat. We could do this. And she went through all of these stupid scenarios. Um, and then she was like, but of course, we won't do any of these things. You know, she's like, why? Because it's cinema. I, I, I have to jump in, too, okay. because uh, Helene, your cinematographer, she's one of the few people to work with Claire Denis that mm -hmm. isn't at Agnes Goddard. So that's like a really kind of distinct thing and I actually I had a weird communication with her through a, a mutual friend of hers because mm -hmm. I posted a, a moving image video thing comparing shots of beach rats to uh, Beau Travail mm -hmm. um, and then someone this French person who knew Helene saw my tweet and then it got back to her and she was just saying how like no actually Beau Travail wasn't uh, a mm -hmm. I, I hope the guy didn't think I was saying she was copying because sometimes I do run into that issue. But it was just nice that she actually responded back, yeah. even though I didn't ask the question. I know cool what she, she said. I know what she said. Well, the yeah. funny thing is, is I'm going to be really honest. I hadn't seen Bo Travai when we sure, made Beatrice. Yeah. Um, and Scott will back me up on that. But I think what Helen's response was this is funny. And it's not, it's not a, you know, don't take it personally at all. It's just another. People said me, uh, Helen, I, I like, I like, I like what you do in making the comparisons. But what Helen said was, she said she's like Claire. Claire does not own the male body. <laughs> that might have been what they. That that yeah. might have been what 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 what, uh -huh. what the response was. Uh -huh. Oh, I need something, I need to find that. Something I think like, it was that. like that. Yeah. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. She just yeah. has like a way. What I'm saying is, is that she has a very sort of minimal way of sort of, you know, articulating things that are sort of practically and philosophically at the sure. same at the same time. Um, that is 
in a way, what makes her sort of a beautiful collaborator and just person to be around and listen to. Right. I just want to say that I, I'm so happy you share that story. Yeah. Because when I watched that shot of, I guess, I think it's the date disappearing into the sea at Plum Beach. Mm -hmm. I was literally, like, this is a couple nights ago because I wanted to rewatch everything. And I was like, oh my God, that takes balls. Because to just like have faith and um, and uh, just allow for the darkness to be on the film. And it just pays off because it just hits you on a visual level of like, yeah, like you went for it and you just like, that's the magic of cinema. And that is the magic of your work because I think that you are a fine artist. I don't like I, that's the category I, I put you in. It's it's a a, a maker of of this these a visual language. Um, so Thank I'm just you. so glad Thank that you, you that you stick to it and you take those risks and you allow yeah. space. I th I think know? in a way having Helen helps because she defends my vision. And people, to be honest, are less likely to argue with her in certain moments, you know, than... <laughs> I'm so yeah. glad you found each other. People, people who pull me into these sort of, you know, power struggles over, over things that aren't worth arguing about. Um, but she, she's an ally and that's... Yes, the accent helps yeah. and the age helps. Um, but I do believe that that's you know, part of what, you know, is so incredible about her is the way that she works from the director's vision and protects it and guards it at the same time. And I think that, you know, movies, film shoots are like just pure kind of chaos and stress. And to have that person who is looking so intimately and closely at the performance and protecting the vision of what's in front of the camera um, I don't know, I can't imagine like shooting a movie with anybody else because I have such trust in, you know, her guarding what I do. Oh, I'm so glad you were connected, but also very seamless from your previous collaborators. Um, and so that is a testament to you as well. Thank um, you. Yeah. And when, when all of you know, it never rarely, sometimes always, which has some of the most brutal shots of pain and, and hurt. There's there's some scenes that when I was watching, it was, was just really difficult because of the way it was shot and the way it was told. I don't want to give away too much about the movie. So just watch the movie. But it was because of your language and the shooting that we were able to to get that. So I really did appreciate that. And was it was it hard making the decision to decide to let it stream, you know, as yeah. early as you did? Yeah. Um it was. It and I'll, what was hard was is that it wasn't really my decision. Oh uh -huh. okay. But, you know. That's what, that's what happens. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I think the world at the moment is, you know, so dystopian and unknowable what will happen. You know, I think 
it's better, you know, ultimately it was better to get it out there and um, try and get people to see it rather than waiting for, you know, movie theaters to open up and, you know, there's so many movies that are just waiting to be released theatrically that it's going to be a very competitive moment. And will people feel safe going to movie theaters? I don't know. What do you guys yeah. think? Yeah. <clears throat> I don't, I, I mean, I had social anxiety before all of this. So going outside is scary anyways. So I think it's going to take a long time. I hope that movie theaters are still around. I would have loved to have seen your movie in the theaters. As I said, Saskia and I have a tradition of going to see your movies now. We were going to go to we were going to go to film Lincoln Lincoln Center and go see it, make a date out of it. So uh, Wait, there's that. About, about watching and it then, at home, though, it kind of reminded me of when you're a little kid. You don't go like for me watching a film like with a capital F at home like I wasn't taken like watching Turner classic movies with my dad or something is a very special part of my upbringing and so watching your film which is you know it, it's not like made by an algorithm for me to watch on Netflix at home and having it in that private kind of like personal part of my 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 memories I think it touched me and I, I I really liked having that experience I liked that it was separate from all the other times that I went to mm. go see films with capital F's <laughs> in, at Lincoln Center mm. you know because it it was poignant to be at home and just be able to like you know not go to the bathroom and hear a bunch of opinions from other people <laughs> mm -hmm. oh yeah <laughs> that's the, the worst the <laughs> I think, that's yeah. the worst you go to the bathroom after a movie and people are like this was terrible or this was great I'm, you know like all these yeah. stuff and I'm like I, I famously yeah I famously don't like talking about movies right afterwards uh, and yeah sometimes I just want to cry as I said watching uh, Forever is going to start tonight yesterday I was just bawling by the beauty and the pain and, and how well put together it was um, and for me, when I saw that it was uh, never rarely, sometimes always was coming to, I was like, Sasha, it's coming on four in four days. We're renting it. It's no question. We got to, you know, got to support you. The reaction, I think, has been pretty good. It's been very, at least from, yeah, I was going to say the same thing, at least within my lane of, of movies, it, it's been doing really good. Yeah, I don't have a sense of how many people have watched it yet. Like, we haven't gotten the reporting. I don't know. I don't know. It feels like it went well. I don't know. Can I, can I touch on that for a second? Because this yeah. actually goes back to you wearing the bulletproof vest uh -huh. comment. It, it, it's really interesting and refreshing hearing you say some of the things you're saying because, and trust me, I love this, like, seeing what you or Scott sometimes, since the beginning, since it felt like Scott up until Scott Cummings, up until recently with um, never really sometimes always sometimes you'll screenshot uh certain comments from reviews that are like i guess n n negative but in a weird way like just recently i think it was either you or scott who shared something where it was like the person had kind of like wasn't happy with the movie but rating wise they still gave it a three out of four 
which I found so funny and all the comments were just like, wait, what? Like, um, so, so it's, 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 it's refreshing. And I appreciate hearing you be so open about like, oh, I, I don't know how to take sometimes when people say certain things about my movies, but until you said that all I've known about you, at least from online as someone who the perception I had was, yeah, bring it on, say something negative about my movie. I just make fun of you, which is totally fine. I'm, I'm not, uh, I have to admit, you know, like I'm, so. I have very like, reactionary confrontational impulses so it's hard to like sometimes like here's an example like I had just you know won this really special award in Berlin um and you know it was very meaningful it was like this award that they had just changed the name of because it was named after like a Nazi and like here I am like the sixth you know, woman in history to ever win this award. Um, And like one of the only like, you know, American filmmakers to win it. Um, Oh, wow. I think one of two, maybe, I don't know. I don't know exactly. And I was like on the way, I was on the way home from just accepting this award. And I just did some like masochistic, um, like Twitter searching. And, you know, like, all of the German papers were like so enthusiastic. Like all of Germany was like galvanizing around me and this award and saying that the the Golden Bear winner was really, like if you do the translations, like the Golden Bear winner was just like a political gesture and I really won. That's what all of the German headlines said. And I was like, this is so nice, this is so nice. And then I found a comment from, you know, someone who works at a very, 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 very reputable film publication. You know, someone who has like serious degrees in like feminism and like women, you know, studies, you know, film history and is very literate. And the comment was like, I'm not convinced she should have won. And it's like, what? How do you, you know, and it set me off. It set me off and I wrote her an email and I was just like, you can write the head of the festival if you're not convinced I deserve this award. Oh yeah. Look, like don't like, you know, but stuff like that really, it like, this is why I, I try, I shouldn't look and I shouldn't listen because I find it very disheartening when people who are supposed to be allies, you know, in this world, you know, aren't. But that's a, that's also a reality, you well, know. T- 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 two things to that. It, it's mm-hmm. a common thing amongst our, I, I hear this come up on conversations and mm-hmm. podcasts a lot where, and, and this happens to me, this this has happened to Scott. This is conversations we've had about separate art that, that we mm-hmm. do where like you get all this acclaim from something but it's those one or two ne- negative comments mm-hmm. that like they can like derail you, know you. Uh-huh. and so yeah mm-hmm. you're not it's not you're not like the odd person i think a lot of people do that also i just again I, you know i'd like to add you know you're you're on the same plane as like you know john cassavetes is one of those few american filmmakers to get the golden bear also so you can also kind of rest on that if no for, for i, I whatever, got the silver, that means, so, so, I got the whatever. but yeah oh, what? <laughs> it's okay okay, it's okay. whatever okay. yeah uh-huh. um but and you know, we I I just want to be conscious of time because yeah, I know yeah. you have a little one and stuff. Like, All right. Oh yeah. yeah. So sure. I just want to say uh thank you so much. You're invited back whenever you want. Thank um, you. We should all have a drink at some point in time when we're allowed to have a drink. Are are is there anything what's on the docket for you right now? 
Um, I am, I'm working on another film. I've learned my lesson about putting it out in public, you know, and talking about it before Mm -hmm. it's a real thing. So I won't say too much about it, but it does have some, um, it does explore some interesting communities in Brooklyn, um, sort of unexpectedly in the narrative. That's all I'll say. (laughs) Um, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, I also teach. I'm sort of finishing up a semester and I need like a mental break after all of this and then we'll start writing again. Um, but yeah, a low key summer probably inside thanks to COVID-19. Um, that's about it. Okay. And, uh, that. <laughs> yeah, Sasi, you had a closing remark? Just thank you so much for joining us today, for doing the work that you do, for um, pushing yourself as hard as you push yourself to complete all of these ideas so that they can be shared with so many of us for many generations to come, I hope. And also that on on a note of the whole feminism thing, I think at least for me, you are rightly in a very important group of female artists who are just killing it. I'll just put it out that way. And 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 really, I think you, your stories um, do so much to help many people understand the female experience and without, you know, I'll leave it at that. And also that you are a mother. Um, just it's it's not easy. I can only imagine. And I mean, you don't have to say it. You are a feminist and you've you've definitely you know made me feel empowered. So so thank you. Thank you. Listening to the sound of my tears. Every now and then I get a little bit nervous that the best of all the years have gone by. Every now and then I get a little bit nervous that the best of all the years have gone by.